Welcome to another Solid Rock Church podcast by Bishop Larry Ragland, Senior Pastor of Solid Rock Church. For more information and content, please visit solidrockchurch.com. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and you have a blessed day. Well, we're in part three of our series, The Rest of the Story. Yeah. Mm. Well, I had planned on preaching on John the Baptist until I saw a post from Queen Fifi. She had a shirt on. Do you got it on today? You didn't wear your shirt. It was dirty. <laughs> it was dirty. She had a shirt on. She made a post that said, if you know, you know. And the shirt said, burn the plow. Catch the mantle. Come on, somebody. Somebody shout, burn the plow. Catch the mantle. And I said, well, I think that's a sign that the Lord wants me to preach a little bit on Elisha. One of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. He's well known. Elisha's well known. He's known as the one that received the double portion anointing. Somebody shout, I want a double portion. All right, 75% of you want a single portion. For the other 25% that want a double portion, then here it comes. See, when, when you get a chance to shout you want a double portion and you want a double portion, you need to shout I want a double portion because God might be waiting on you to make a declaration for your miracle. Listen, this ain't just some talk back to the preacher. If you want a double portion, shout, I want a double portion. That sounds better. Learn something about Elisha. You can't learn about Elisha without learning about Elijah. Because without Elijah, you don't know Elisha exists. Right? You don't even know he exists because Elisha's story is tied to Elijah's story. Elisha's story is tied to Elijah's obedience. Can I tell you something? Somebody else's story is tied to your obedience. Oh, you didn't hear that. You said, well, I thought, you thought the only story you was responsible for was your story. Let me tell you something about a, a, a man, a godly man and a godly woman's story. A godly man and a godly woman's story encompasses the enabling of the creation, the empowering, not the creation, but the empowering and opening doors for and, and, and edifying and affirming others as they walk through their story. Come on. How many knows nobody has ever got where they're at by themselves? People need people. You need affirmation. You need people to identify the gifts that are within you. You need people to be obedient. How many of those, a lot of us, some of, some of you got saved, just you and God. I mean, you're just going through a bad time. You picked up a Bible. You read the Bible. You just got on your knees and you got saved. But most of us got saved in a church service. Most of us got led was led to the Lord by another believer. Most of us came to our faith by the faithfulness of somebody else. And I got news for you, even if you think nobody else was involved when you got saved, let me tell you something, there was somebody involved. Your grandma prayed for you, come on. Oh, your aunt prayed for you, come on. Your uncle prayed for you. Somebody down the road prayed for you. You might not, you might not have seen it, but let me tell you something, somebody else's obedience was involved in your story. 
I'm preaching better than you shout. So, so, so Elijah, it's so easy to get them mixed up. Elijah, everybody say Elijah. Elisha. Hey, Elijah is known as the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. Now, whether he, he was the greatest prophet or not, because I mean, those, there's no, there's no uh, uh, partiality in God. But in the Jewish people's faith, Elijah holds a, a prominence that no other prophet holds. For various reasons, but one of the main reasons is found in the book of Malachi. You don't have to go there, but the book of Malachi is not only the last book of the Old Testament, it is chronologically, time-wise, the last Old Testament book to ever been written. Some people will say, well, that makes sense why they put it there. Well, no, Genesis wasn't the first one that wrote, was wrote. How many knows there wasn't nobody around to write about Genesis 1-1? Moses is, most people believe, is the writer of the book of Genesis. The oldest book of the Bible of all 66 books is the book of Job. Job was the first one, all scholars agree, that was ever put to letter form. So Job is the, own, the oldest book in the Bible. Chronologically, it's the first Old Testament book to ever been written. But I think it's pretty awesome that not only is it in your Bible, the last, the last book in the Old Testament, but chronologically, it is the last book of the entire Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And let me tell you, I've said it many times before, this ain't what I'm preaching today, but it's what I'm preaching right now. Here we go. I'm going to tell you, I think it's pretty obvious. I think it's pretty awesome that God knew that Malachi would be the last book. Come on. How many knows he didn't just figure that out one day? He knew that. When he moved on Malachi to write Malachi, he knew. I'm not going to speak again until John the Baptist comes on the scene. In fact, most theologians believe that from the book of Malachi to, to John the Baptist coming on the scene is somewhere around 600 years. Let's just hold up, guys. Y'all just hang there and enjoy it with us. About 600 years. About 600 years of nothing being said from heaven. Nothing. Nothing, not, not a single prophetic utterance. God did not speak to man for 600 years after Malachi. God knew that he was not going to speak to man. And let me tell you something. It, the way I understand this, the way my mind has to wrap around things to get the meaning of that, that that's almost like if God, if God was to tell you the moment you were going to die, to the, to the minute, He's, and he told you, in fact, he came to you and he said, listen, you've got 24 hours to live. By midnight tomorrow night, I'm going to take your breath from you and you're coming to be with me. You've got 24 hours to do whatever you want to do. I got news for you. You ain't going to ride no bull named Fu Manchu. You ain't going to go skydiving. Come on, somebody. Are y'all hearing me? You, 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 ain't, you ain't got enough time to live like you're dying. So, so here's what I'm trying to tell you. If you knew you had 24 hours to live, would you not be very intentional with your words? How many knows you would not play Xbox? You would not watch your shows. Oh, I'm preaching better than y'all shouting. You wouldn't be posting on Instagram. You wouldn't be scrolling. You wouldn't be getting no fights about politics. Huh? You would be 
with the loved ones. You would be with those that matter most to you. You would be saying the things that you want to say to them. You would want to make sure that when midnight tomorrow night came and they remembered your last words, that's all they would have to go by. That's all they would have to live on is what you told them in a sound mind. Baby, listen to me. I want you to know something. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. Your daddy loves you. Your mama, your mama is there for you. Are you hearing me? Anything you can do in your life, you would be very careful. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get into some stupid family argument. Are you hearing me? Because you knew they were never going to hear from you again. A lot of people lived, born, and died during those 600 years. There was a, there was, for the first time in the history of the God's chosen people, there was a generation of people that were born, told all about what God had done for the people of Israel, lived their whole life, and died, and never had a prophet to speak into their life. All they had to go by was the words of Malachi. Are you hearing me? What's the last prophet? Daddy, when's the last time God spoke to us? Well, he spoke to us through a man named Malachi. Huh? Now, before we get to the last verse of Malachi, the last few verses of Malachi, which is going to, what I'm talking about today, let's back up a few other verses. Before he ever talks about Elijah, he says these words. These are some of the last words that God says to man, knowing he is not going to speak to him again for 600 minimum years. Will a man rob God? How have we robbed you, Lord? You have robbed me in tithe and offering. Bring me, therefore, the tithe, all the tithes and offerings to my storehouse not, so that there might be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Come on, y'all hear me. I will put you as a jewel in my crown. Oh, my God, are you hearing me? Therefore, sons of Jacob... Because you are the sons of Jacob, you've robbed from me, but because you're the sons of Jacob, I will not consume you. In other words, one of the last things I want to tell you is, according to my law, because you have robbed me in tithe and offering, you ought to die. But because I said the children of Israel would always live on, I'm, I'm not going to take your life from you. But let me tell you something. For 600 years, you ain't going to hear my voice. They didn't know that this time, but God knew it. He was trying to tell them, for 600 years, you ain't going to be able to hear my voice anytime you want to hear me. But there is a way that you can tap in to my blessings and my favor. Even when you can't see me and when you can't hear me, you need to be a faithful giver of your tithe and offering. Because if you're a faithful giver to tithe and offering, you don't need a prophet to speak into your life. I'll open the windows of heaven over you personally and pour you out a blessing when there is no prophet to even talk to you. That's in the Old Testament. God gave that promise in the Old Testament. I'll be honest, I'm going to say this smiling so y'all know that I'm not mad at y'all. But some of y'all can't even tithe in the New Testament. If 
you're robbing God in the Old Testament, you're robbing him in the New Testament. I don't want want him to preach about the fact that he said you're cursed with a curse. Huh? So now let me get back to my sweet sermon. The reason they hold Elisha, I mean Elijah, see I told you it's easy to trick it. Elijah on such a level of honor is because the very last verses, think about this, that got the very last words that God would speak to man before he shut the heavens up until John the Baptist was speaking of the day of the return of the Lord. The great and dreadful day of the Lord is what is called the return of the Lord. And it says, before I send the Lord, I will send Elijah. He said, I will send Elijah. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. And he will turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers. Before that great day. So to this day. Every year at Passover, at the cedar meal, the Orthodox Jewish people still set an empty chair at the table. They still set a plate, and they still put food on that plate symbolically, making a place for Elijah because they believe that Elijah is still yet to come, and then the Messiah will come. But what they've missed is Jesus made it very clear when they asked him about Elijah regarding John the Baptist, and God said, Jesus said, Elijah has already come and you didn't know it. What they didn't realize is Elijah is coming back. If you watch my teaching on Revelation, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt Elijah is one of the two witnesses. There's debate on the other, but there's no debate that one of them is Elijah. And he will come before the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which is known as the Battle of Armageddon. And he will do. He will turn the hearts of the sons to the Father, which are the Jewish people, will lead the 144,000 Jews that will be sealed on their forehead before God. That's another series. Go watch it online. It's there. But here's the reality. Elijah, the spirit of Elijah... Will was on John the Baptist. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. They loved Elijah because it was Elijah that challenged the prophets of Baal on what is known as Mount Carmel. If you read your Bible, which would be a good thing for you as a Christian to do, on top of Mount Carmel, the prophets of Baal there, Jezebel's prophets of Baal were up there mocking. He said, I tell you what, how about we do this? How about we end this argument? How about we end this argument? Who is God and who is not? You make you an altar to your God, Baal. I'll make my altar to my God. And he said, here's what we're going to do. I, you, I'm going I'm to let you go first. And they went first. They screamed. They yelled. Because they, he said, let the God that answers by fire from heaven, let that God be God. They screamed. They yelled. They cut themselves. They bled. They done all kinds of demonic ritualistic things nothing happened but before he got ready to do his own and call on God he said just to make it extra pour some water on it soak soak my altar down dig a ditch and fill it up he, he said do it again then he said no that's not enough. do it again three different buckets of water and soak the, the altar soak the, the, the sacrifice and he just stood back and he said God they doubt you I'm asking you right now show yourself show yourself to a doubting world. And the Bible said, 
fire came down out of heaven, hit the altar, consumed the sacrifice, and even licked up the water that was around the altar. And all the prophets of Baal had began to run for their lives because the people began to scream out, the God of Elijah is the true God. I'm going to tell you something how anointed you are, how big and bad you are in the Holy Ghost. You're still just a man and you're still just a woman. He literally fought the prophets of Baal and won. And as he's just sort of walking in, you know, just strutting a little bit, coming off the mountain. Somebody runs and tells him, Jezebel heard what you did. And she sent a message to tell you, old preacher man, she's coming after you. And she's going to do to you the same things that were done to her prophets. Let me tell you something. When you come out from under the anointing, I'm telling you right now, when you're under the anointing, you, you feel like you're invincible. When you come out from under that anointing, you better have some accountability in your life. You better have, you, you better, come on, you better have somebody praying for you. Because I'm telling you something, you'll be susceptible. And so here's a man that faced the prophets of Baal. Fire came down out of heaven, heard one word from Jezebel, and ran for his life. Sit up under a tree weeping and crying and moaning. All he had done for God, telling God all he had done for God, now God's going to kill him. Let Jezebel kill him. He says, get up, son. Go get in that cave. How many know sometimes God will put you in a cave so he can talk to you? Huh? Thought I was preaching on Elisha today. Maybe I'm preaching on Elijah. I don't know. Put him in a cave. While he's in the cave, weeping and moaning, griping and complaining, God tells him, get up and go. I walk out the edge of the cave. He walks out the edge of the cave. He sees all kinds of natural phenomenons happening from fire and wind and earthquakes, shaking. And each time the Bible says, but God was not in the earthquake. God was not in the whirlwind. God was not in the fire. God was not in the wind. But when it was all over with and everything settled down and he sort of come to himself standing there and everything finally got quiet, he heard the voice of God. And the Bible says, but God was in the still, small voice. How many of if you want to hear God speak to you, you're going to have to get intimate with him. See, he was speaking during the earthquake, but you couldn't hear him because you were focused on the earthquake. He was speaking in the fire, but you couldn't hear him because your eyes were distracted by the fire. I want to help you this morning. Everything you see in the media now is a whirlwind, a fire, and an earthquake. It is all to distract you. It is all to get you to focus on it so you can't hear God. I'm going to illustrate to you what I'm talking about. On the count of three, I want all y'all to start yelling, okay? And I'll tell you when to stop. One, two, three, go. Okay, stop. Did anybody hear what I just said? Did you hear what I just said? Well, then you missed a blessing because you were too focused on everybody else because I looked at you and said, Austin, I couldn't be more proud of you, son. Now watch this, watch this. Step right here. Step right here. Anybody else out there hear me? 
I didn't even use the microphone, but you heard me. Same exact episode just happened. The problem is you couldn't hear me say that because all you could hear was the noise of the crowd. You're going to have to get in the cave sometimes. You're going to have to get alone sometimes. You're going to have to get away from this mess sometimes. You might have to go into another room and shut the door and climb inside a closet and get away from everybody else to be able to hear God. So what, what does he say? He speaks to him something. Then here's how we, then I begin my message at 1128. But here's the cool thing. Announcements and offers done. Rest of it's mine. Huh? First Kings chapter 19, verse 15. Then this is all right after that event at the cave. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, I want you to notice something. Anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel or Abel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Can I tell you something? You might think you're the only one left, but there's more of us left than you think. You might turn the TV on and think that there ain't no Christians left, but there are more of us that the world will ever let you believe. There is a remnant rising. There are There is a group of people who have not bowed a knee to Baal, who have not bowed a knee to Caesar. But I want you to get something. I want you to see the power of Elisha's story. God speaks to the greatest prophet in the history of Israel and says, I want you to go anoint the next king of Syria. Then I want you to go anoint the next king of Israel. Then I want you to go find your replacement. Elisha's name was spoken by God in the same sentence as two kings. Oh, you didn't get that. Elisha, who other than Elijah, because he already was in Elijah's life, and his wife and his kids, and a few people at the school of the prophets that he attended with, with his fellow students, Nobody else in the world even knew Elisha even existed. I promise you, Haziel and Jehu didn't know he existed. But God knew he existed. How many knows? You, you, you know, everybody knew who Hazel, everybody knew who Jehu was because no one would be appointed at that place unless they had already appointed themselves as prominent people, as people of a, of a certain lineage, of people of a certain warfare. But Elisha, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, was just somebody who just plowed a field. His job in ministry 
was the most unglamorous that you could ever imagine. Elisha's job in ministry. Some of y'all get mad because you've been asked to work the door. Some of y'all get mad because you've been asked to work in the nursery. Some of y'all get mad because you've been asked to park cars. Some of y'all don't like it because you've been doing the same thing for 10 years. What about this? What if this was your job? Elisha's job was simply to hold the mantle of Elijah while he was eating. And even before he got that big job, to hold it, not wear it, but hold it across his arms, he had to go over and wash the dirty hands of Elijah, wash his hands for him, dry his hands for him, so Eli- and stand over in the corner and hold the mantle and watch another man eat, laugh, and cut up and have a good time while you stood there and didn't get a thing. But you don't want to work the nursery. Boy, that was quiet. But God said, I watched how you serve the man of God. Hmm? One of the books that, probably the number one book that changed this church forever. Many have changed it since. Well, the first books that we put at Ambassador's Bible College, the first book that I ever taught the leaders of this house in the little white building in Trafford, Alabama in 1996 was a book called Armor Bear. Huh? And that book, Armor Bear, says you'll never learn how to be an Elisha until you learn how to serve an Elijah. You want the double portion anointing, but you don't get the double portion anointing until you have served Elijah. Huh? You, you want the platform. You want the microphone, but you don't want to cut grass. You want the platform. You want the microphone. But, but come on, somebody. But you don't want to clean the church. You don't want to shake somebody's hand at the door. You don't want to hand out a worship guide. You don't want to rock a baby in the nursery. You don't want to work, want to work in children's ministry because, you know, children are not your thing. But you want the double portion anointing. God knew who Elisha was just like he knew who the next kings would. But what, and Elisha knew who he was, and Elijah knew who Elisha was. But the one thing Elisha didn't know, Elisha knew that one day his time was coming, but Elisha had no idea that it was today. Let me tell you something you got to live every day like your moment is today. Because your, your Elisha moment may be today, but it may be tomorrow. It may be next week. But if you give up six days from now, you didn't make it to next week. Because next week might have been the day that God said, get up. Get up, Pastor Larry. Go anoint so-and-so. Lay, lay your hands on them and, and affirm that calling that I've already been dealing with them about. Give them a word of affirmation. Lay your hands on them and send them. Ooh, this is good preaching. But here's the thing you didn't get in that scripture, and I gotta hurry. You have two kings, kings of the most prominent nations of those times, Syria and Israel. But Elisha, in that statement from God, was proclaimed to be the most powerful. Because remember, he said, for those that Hazael can't kill, Jehu's powerful enough to kill them. 
But there will be some that Jehu can't even handle. Elisha will handle them. Oh, you didn't see that part, did you? He said, whoever is powerful enough to make it through the king of Syria and to make it through the king of Israel will not make it through my prophet. Woo! Y'all hear me? God is not just calling the prophets to arise. He is calling the prophets who are not afraid to fight the devil to arise. The demons that have escaped the previous generations are not going to escape the remnant of today. I got news for you. The church is not getting weaker. The church is getting stronger. Don't believe the lie. Just cause the church is smaller doesn't mean it's lost any value. Look at a nickel, then look at a dime. Just cause your circle gets smaller doesn't mean that you can't become more valuable. How many knows a dime is smaller than a nickel, but it's worth more than a nickel? Well, now, here's what I want to show you something powerful. You ready? Here we go. This is not just an accessory. Verse nine, uh, 1 Kings 19, verse 19. So he departed from there. And he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. What did he find him doing? Plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12. A yoke of oxen means a team of oxen. That are yoked together. This was a massive field. I want to paint the picture of you. Where there were 12 men in the field in a, in a line like this. Massive field. 12 different teams of oxen. To, to hit, to dig this field 12 wide. And the Bible said Elisha was with the 12. Not the first. It'd be nice to be the first because the first one gets fresh air. If you're, if you're doing the first yoke of oxen, you ain't got nothing ahead of you but just life. But if you're with the 12th yoke of oxen, you're walking through crap. Can I get an Amen. You got the smell of all the crap of the ones that went before you. You're eating the dust of everyone else's success. While you've been serving the man of God, instead of it getting you a promotion, it got you put at the back. It may look like God had forsaken you. But how many knows the Bible said, and Elisha was found. In other words, he wasn't just running to a field searching through 12 teams of oxen. God told him exactly where Elisha was. You'll find him in the dust. In fact, the only way you'll probably even be able to see him is I'm going to have to tell you who he is because he's going to be covered in mess. Can I be graphic? In crap, in poop. Of all the others. 
But God didn't choose the others. In fact, we don't even know who those 11 were. But we know the name of the one that was covered in crap. Somebody, some of y'all might not be, you might be afraid to say this, but it'll, it'll free you if you do it. Just somebody say, I might be covered in crap, but God knows who I am. Some of y'all think you just cussed. Who was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen? He was with the 12. Then Elijah passed by him. Woo! And threw his mantle on him. Mantle was the word that they used for the talith of the prayer shawl. That's what this is. This is a prayer shawl. It's been in Jewish culture since the beginning of a relationship with God. It's evolved over the years, but this is what you'll see people that are Orthodox Jewish people praying. This is called a talith in their language. We call it a prayer shawl. In fact, the talith is also known as the closet. It might blow your mind to know that when Jesus said, when you pray... Don't pray as the Pharisees do out in the streets, loud prayers for everybody to see them. He said, rather, when you pray, go inside your closet and pray in secret, and the God that sees in secret will reward you openly. Well, if you just read that in the King James, you might not really understand. If you read in the Hebrew, you'll know that it says, but when you pray, go into your prayer closet, go into your talit. It's the same word for the talit. They would take it. I don't have time to do it now. There's certain things on the ends where you can put your fingers through the ends, and it symbolizes wings, where it says, he that abideth on the shadow of the Almighty. It talks about the wings. All of that is about the talith. And it, it, what Jesus was saying is that you would take this and you would close it in. And you'll see the Jewish people praying like this. That's, that's what was meant by the prayer closet. The talith is the most important thing, the most important garment that a Jewish person could ever wear. It, not only was it a place of prayer and everything that's on it represents something, but it was it represented every prayer that person had ever prayed, every time they had ever felt the anointing, everything that every time they'd ever been in the presence of God was woven into the fabric of that talith. Elijah had that talith on when he was on Mount Carmel. Are you hearing me? Elijah, when he prayed to God, he wrapped himself in that talith and said, let the God that answers by fire, let that God be God. It was the same mantle. And when he found Elisha, he ran by him. And he hit him. I love my sons and daughters. They just, they ain't no telling what's going to happen to them. And they just roll with it. But nobody's ever had to suffer like Mike Hendry. I don't know if he's in here. Back in the tent days, I spanked him in the tent. I rode him like a donkey. He was a donkey. I put him down on all fours in the tent and got on top of him and rode him like a donkey. Bless his heart. And he just, he just spoke in tongues the whole time. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, there was my wild days back then. Some of y'all try, will never get that image out of your head now. Okay. You have to watch the video. We got it on VHS somewhere. Elijah passed by and threw his mantle on. Watch this. You'll miss it. Go so fast. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. I like to always give this illustration. Stand up, CJ. Stand up, CJ. All right. So, watch this. I want you to catch me, all right? When I throw this on you, I want you to catch me. Are you ready? One, two, three, go. 
What's up, man? That was pretty easy, wasn't it? Did you have to run to catch me? Okay. But the Bible said he threw his mantle on him as he passed him. And Elisha ran after him. He ran after him. He ran. What's wrong, man? You're slow. Give him a mantle back. How many knows? You don't have to run after somebody unless they ran past you. If he immediately leaves the oxen and runs, that means Elijah was on a mission. You've been telling me, Elisha, you ready to do what God called you to do? Well, here's your moment. I ain't got time to convince you. Boom. Huh? How many of those Elisha realized? up that morning thinking it was this day but he was not going to miss that moment he he held that mantle he knew he had seen that mantle he held it while his prophet sat there and ate and he thought my God one day one day one day I wish I could be just a little bit anointed like him and my God the man of God just hit me with his own mantle didn't even try to get it back just took off running I got to figure out what's going on he grabbed it and he took off running after it Oh, now it's time for the rest of the story. He left the ox and ran after Elijah and said, Please, 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 stop, 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 please. Let me kiss my father and my mother, and I'll, then I'll follow you. I want you to understand, people have rebuked Elisha for this statement. But I'm going to tell you something. That was, that was not a, a disobedience. What's this? Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what have I done to you. Now watch this. So Elisha, verse 21, turned back from him, took a yoke of oxen, his yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh on the fire using the oxen's equipment. He took the plow, busted up the plow, and made a fire from the plow. And then killed the oxen, skinned the oxen, boiled the oxen on the fire, gave it to the people of his village, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Here's why I don't think we need to think that he was in disobedience when Elijah says, what have I done to you? He was really acknowledging the obedience of Elisha because Elisha was saying, I understand I will never be here again. I understand that the life that I knew before today is gone forever. All I'm asking you before I leave here is just let me kiss my mom and daddy and my family bye. And Elijah said, what have I done to you? He was basically saying, yeah, you're right. I need to give you that opportunity because if you're going with me, we're not coming back here. Now watch this. He didn't know exactly what had happened, but he did not need to fully understand to obey immediately. Quit trying to make sure you fully understand what God is doing before you fully submit to what God is doing. Oh, but Lord, if you could just show me. Oh, he's already showed you. Lord, if you could do this, he's already done enough. If you believe God's calling you to do something, there it is. 
When God calls you to do something, you don't have to understand all the details to obey immediately. Let me tell you something about Elisha. He didn't do like most people. I mean this with love. If I come to some of y'all and ask y'all to join the ministry team, this is the first response most of you will give me. I'm talking about people that have been coming to this church for years or, or certainly months, done going through the growth track, done, done everything you're supposed to do, and I ask you to join the ministry team, here's your first response. Well, let me pray about it and I'll get back to you. Why do you have to pray about it? Why do you got to pray? Did you go through the growth track? Hadn't you made this your church? Hadn't you said I'm your pastor? Didn't you say you're ready to serve God? What is there to pray about? What, what, what do you think is going to change about you praying? You already know what you're supposed to be doing. Elisha didn't say, man, I appreciate that mantle. Man, this is, this is big. Just get, can, can I get back to you next Sunday? Let me pray about it. I'll get back to you next Sunday. Can I shoot you a text and let you know? I just want to make, I just want to make sure that, I, that, I, that, I'm, that I feel good about this moment. That's why I ran past him. That's why I didn't stop and give him a chance to even talk to him about it. Oh, y'all hear me. When you're, ready, when you're ready to go to the next level, and you know you've been crying out to God, you've been living everything you can do for God, you've been trying to be as faithful as you can to God, you've been crying out for God for a miracle, when it's your time, baby, you don't need to pray about it. You need to run with it. You might not have enough time to pray about it. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to tell you right now. Let me pray about it. It's a cop-out for a lot of people. Oh, I believe in prayer. I'm not talking about somebody asks you to do something you ain't already been thinking about doing. You probably need to pray about it. I'm talking about if you're going through the growth track, honey, let me tell you something. You, si- you signed it. it and when you joined the church, that you was ready to serve in this house. You went through the growth track, 401. Baby, that means you made a commitment and said, I'm ready to serve. There ain't nothing to pray about. You ought to be working. Oh, then what, what did you go through? What, what was that to you? Here's the way God will lead you in your life. You ready? I got 10 minutes. Y'all ready? Let me, let me, give, let me help y'all. God rarely, if ever, gives you all the details. God is strategically vague many times in his direction. Mm, I believe God mm, would look at you and say, if you wanted to know all the details, you can't handle the details. He would say, if I showed you everything, you wouldn't even show up. If I showed you the hell you was going to have to go through, if I showed you the bridges you was going to have to cross, if I showed you the mountains you was going to have to climb, if I showed you the valleys you was going to have to walk through to get to the next step, you would never even start. Honey, you don't need to know the details. You just need to start walking. You just need to do what I told you to do and know that I have prepared a way. The heart of a servant, Elisha, who would hold the coat and wash the hands of the prophet, was about to become the second, listen, 
greatest miracle worker in the history of Scripture and humanity. Second only to Jesus. Jesus is the only other person in Scripture that has more recorded miracles than Elisha. More than Moses, more than Elijah, more than Isaiah. Are y'all hearing me? More than Ezekiel. A farmer, a hand washer, a nobody. His last act in his hometown before he began his ministry was to serve ox meat. He was still serving. He didn't just kill the oxen. Are y'all hearing me? He didn't wait. Oh, y'all to hear me. He didn't waste the oxen. He made sure before he left that not only did he tell everybody bye, he fed them. He served them. He cooked for them. It was the heart of a servant. So y'all think the whole story of Elisha is that he got a double portion. The rest of the story is, the only reason you know that part of the story is because he's the greatest example of a servant other than Jesus you'll ever see. The only greater example of a servant in Scripture is the only one that had more recorded miracles than him. You want to see miracles in your life? Serve somebody. You want to be an Elisha? Find you an Elijah and wash their hands and hold their coat, spiritually speaking. Oh, I'm, I'm closing. When he burned the plow and cooked the oxen, he was publicly declaring, there is no plan B. Let me tell you something. We've all done it. What's the plan, man? Well, this is what we plan on doing. But if that don't work out, this is plan B. The moment you establish a plan B, it's virtually impossible to do plan A. Because you have automatically preconditioned your mind to escape the first moment of hardship. Well, if this don't work, I got a plan B. Some of y'all even go, I got a plan C. I got a plan D. I got a plan E. I got a plan F. G, H, I, J, K. Some of y'all got 26 plans. There can only be one plan A for your life. Hey, how about this? There should be only one plan A for your family. No matter what it looks like, no matter what, what it sounds like, no matter what somebody said, you stick to your plan A. Huh? You ain't, ain't no plan B for my marriage. Huh? I know some of y'all done gone, gone through a couple of marriages. Well, how about this? How about this one? You'd say there ain't no plan B. Huh? You ain't dating. You ain't going steady. He ain't got your football jacket. You're going to get your football jacket if y'all don't work out. No, you're married. I don't care if it's your seventh marriage, your tenth marriage, or your first marriage. You are married. My God, why don't you stand firm right now and say, you know what, God? There ain't no plan B. You're going to work this out. I'm not talking about being in an abusive situation. Come on, somebody. I ain't talking about that. You know what I mean. 
Until you declare there is no plan B for your destiny, you will never commit to plan A, God's plan. Plan B automatically calls you to give yourself an out of plan A. I want everybody to say it out loud with me right now. There is no plan B for my life. Say this with me. I will walk in God's plan for my life. See, we don't know exactly. Here's, here's the thing that blows my mind. Because people love to preach these two things together here. But what you don't realize in 1 Kings chapter 19 is when the mantle was thrown on him. But we don't even read about the double portion anointing falling from the chariot as Elijah's taken out until 2 Kings chapter 2. Do you understand? It is believed by some that years pass between the throwing of the mantle to the catching of the mantle again. We know that he gave the mantle back to Elijah. Because Elijah has his mantle with him when they have the famous story that I don't have time to read, but I'll just tell you, it's in 2 Kings chapter 2. Elijah is by, Elijah is by his side everywhere he went. Now watch this. He, he comes up to a place called Bethel. Bethel means the house of God. And he says, you need to go back. Not go back to your home because you've burned the plow. How many knows the reason he burned the plow is because he knew if he did not burn that plow, the first moment that a problem arose between him and Elijah, he would say, well, you know what? I can just always go back to the plow. I, just, I know I got a job waiting for me at home. But there were probably times that he thought that, but then he, then he, he did the right thing because he had to say, well, you know what? I can't go back home because I ain't got no plow. I ain't got no oxen. I ate them things. So, I couldn't go back home if I wanted to. I might as well stay right here. So that's why, that's why you got to be a eliminate plan B. Now watch this. They arrive at Bethel. He says, go, stay here. For the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Elisha says, 2 Kings chapter 2, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now watch this. Now the sons of the prophets were at Bethel, came out to Elisha, and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Shut up. Now I want you to catch something. What we read right over, and I'm, I'm, I ain't got time to finish all of this today, so I'm just going to finish this right here. We read right over that. We want to skip right to the place where get all the way to Jericho. They're standing at the waters of Jericho. It's the third time he's told them to go back. Third time Elisha says, the Lord lives and I live. I will not leave you. He finally gets frustrated. He says, okay, what do you want? They cry, they cry. He, he takes his mantle, by the way, smites the water of Jericho, and, and uh, uh, the Jordan River, excuse me, and the Jordan River parts, and he walks across the dry land, stands on the other side and says, okay, what in the world do you want from me? He said, I want a double portion of your anointing. Now watch what he says. He says, you've asked a hard thing. But if you can see me going when I'm taken away, you can have what's on me. We, we skip right to that. But what we forget is this. It did not shock him at all that he was being taken away. He already knew he was being taken away that day. In fact, he had been teaching as professor at a place called the School of the Prophets in Scripture where multiple students 
had heard from the prophet that God had told him that he was going to take him out to be with him at a certain day. In fact, he even told them the day. Because that's why the, the, the students from the Sons of the Prophets, which is known, was the name of the school, came to Elisha and said, Do you not know? Are you not concerned? I know you're the right-hand man. You're always, you're always with him. He's your, you're his chosen. Don't you know the one that you spent your whole life serving is going to be taken from you today? Watch what he says. This is after the first word of Bethel. He says, of course I know that. Shut up. This is not about that. This is about me serving him to the end. This is about me saying it's not my time yet, but my time will come. I'm going to serve the man of God as long as I can. Mm-hmm. Your time will come. So he says something powerful. He says, if you can see me when I go away, you can have what you've asked. Now I want you to picture this. I'm closing. The Bible says as they're standing there, a whirlwind begins to spin. They're standing in the middle of it. Why are they standing in the middle of a whirlwind? It's like the center of a hurricane. It's calm for them, but those that were not obedient can't see what's happening. All they can see is dust. So all the sons of the prophets, the Bible said, were hiding in the bushes watching it all. They were watching it all play out. But all they could see was dust. But in the middle of that whirlwind was two men. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, out of heaven comes a chariot. Angels on fire. It's a chariot full of fire. Why is it full of fire? Fire of the Holy Ghost. But also, maybe that thing caught on fire when it went through our atmosphere, just like everything else catches on fire. As it comes from one dimension to the next, at a speed, it caught on fire and swoops down there and grabs Elijah up, throws him into the chariot, and takes him away. All this is going in the middle of a whirlwind. He looks up. Elijah's gone. The man he spent his whole life serving is gone. He could have said, well, I missed that. But he kept his eyes. He stood on the word of God. All he remembered was the man said, if you see me when I go, you can have what you've asked. He didn't give up. He kept watching. Until he went. And all of a sudden. He saw one thing falling from heaven. Can you imagine? 10,000 feet. 20,000 feet. The clouds. Blue sky. Seeing this little white thing just doing this. What is that? What is that? Is that a bird? What is that? And all of a sudden. He's, he's doing this. I'm trying to get y'all to get the picture. What is that? What is that? And as it gets down a couple of hundred feet, he catches the blue. He sees the tassel. And he 
goes, oh, my God. Oh, my God. It's his mantle. says we grabbed him and put it on and something happened to Elijah he could feel it burning inside of him where he had been the one that would wash the hands. He had been the one that would hold the coat. He had been the one that had plowed behind 11 other people that went before him. All of a sudden, a holy boldness came on him, and he walked up to the same water that had went back together. That It was separating him from those sons of the prophets on the other side. The whirlwind had died. The dust had settled. And here was one man standing by himself. He grabbed that mantle off. And the Bible said, he says these words, Where is the Lord God of Elijah and he smoked the waters and the waters parted for the prophet. Are y'all hearing me? And he walked across on dry land. Hallelujah. 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 Your time is coming. Your time is coming. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. Don't give up. Don't give up. Your time is coming. One more thing. Stand to your feet all over this house. One more thing you got to get. You got to quit worrying if anybody else sees the blessing on your life. It don't matter what everybody else sees. Quit worrying about needing their affirmation. They can't see what you see because they ain't been where you've been. They can't hear what you hear because they ain't had to walk through what you had to walk through. Watch what they did. This was on their peers. I mean, it was just one thing when a person you look up to comes to you. It's another thing when a fellow student, a fellow church member, a fellow person in your neighborhood comes up to you. Because they were equal. Listen to me. They walk up and this is what they said. Where do you think God has put him? He's gone. He was with you and now he's gone and we did not see him go away. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to go up in the mountains and search for him. Maybe the Lord picked him up and set him on the other side of the mountain. We'll, we'll find him for you. Because listen, if they ain't been where you've been, they can't see what you see. All right? Okay? Remember when, remember when Saul of Tarsus was riding the donkey on his way to Damascus? Ain't it interesting that God told Elijah to go back to Damascus, the same place. Cool, glory to God, I felt the Holy Ghost. The same road to Damascus that, that Saul of Tarsus was on was the path that Elijah had to go to go find Elisha. He's riding his donkey on the way to arrest Christians. Christians, and God knocks him off his literal high donkey. Blinds him. He converts to Christianity. When he finally stands up, all those that were standing right next to him, the Bible literally says, while God was speaking to Saul of Tarsus, they knew something was happening. Go read your Bible in the book of Acts. It says, but all they heard was thunder. When God was speaking clearly to the ears of Saul, people standing right next to him could not hear any words because they were not Saul. And the sons of the prophets who were with Jericho saw him. They said, the spirit of Elijah now rests upon Elisha. They acknowledged it.
They came to meet him. They bowed to the ground before him. They said to him, look now. There are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken them up and cast them upon some mountain or some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. He's not behind that mountain. So Elisha, listen to me, I'm, I'm going to pray and let you go. Elisha lived an incredible life. Incredible miracles. Stories the Shunammite woman, stories of the pots being filled, I mean, that would, would keep being filled with, with wine and all kinds of things, money, period. God used this man on an incredible level. But when you study the amount of miracles that Elijah is recorded in Scripture of performing, I believe it was 16. I may have this number exactly wrong, plus or minus one or two, but I think it was 16. Well, when Elisha died, if you go back and record and read in Scripture every miracle that was attributed to Elisha, when Elisha died, he was one miracle shy of exactly twice the amount of miracles that Elijah had performed. It looked like he was one shy of double Double the anointing, double anointing, double portion. Well, let me tell you the rest of the story. Second Kings chapter 13, verse 20. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. And the raiding bands from Moab had invaded the land in the spring of that year. And so it was as they were burying a man that they suddenly they spied a band of raiders and they put the man in the tomb of Elisha. And when the man was let down and touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood to his feet. Can I tell you something? That the dead bones of Elisha was still anointed so much there was one miracle left in him. And that miracle was exactly double the amount of miracles that Elijah had performed. Only second to Jesus. So if you're here today, and you said, I'm tired of playing B's and C's and D's and E's and F's. I'm ready to make a new commitment to go all in on plan A. Whatever you have for me, God, that's what I want. And that's all I want. I'm going to ask you to come and let me pray for you. Just come and stand as a declaration. Just come and stand as a declaration. Just come. Just come on. Is anybody else? Is anybody else? They're still coming. Just come on. Don't be afraid to come. Nobody's going to ask you what you messed up about and what you're struggling with. That's between you and God. Anybody else, just come on. Just come on. Just come on. Where's my man at? i got a young man over here on this end. Look at all these ladies. Come on, men. Swallow your pride. Swallow your pride. Well, I know you value, you pride yourself in, bless God, I'm still, I'm still walking in my plan A. Really? Are you serving? Are you serving? Are you serving? Come on. Are you serving somebody? God's called you to serve your family first, but not just your family. 
He served, he's called you to serve outside, Ethan. Come on up here, bro. Come on up here. Come on around. Come on around. Come on around. Get up here. Get up here. Thank you, sir. Who else? I want you, if you're up here, I want you to come up to the stage so I know who you are. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Huh? Father God, in the name of Jesus, every man and woman that is standing before me, I bind every demon in hell that would torment their minds, that would attempt to disqualify them from service to you, God. That would cause things of the past, even the present and fear of the future to rise up in their mind, cause them to think that they're not educated enough, they're not talented enough, they're not anointed enough, they're not good enough. I bind that devil now. As their pastor and their spiritual father in their life, I bind that devil. I command that devil to loose their minds. For this moment, they are free. Their minds are free. They are anointed. They are powerful. They are full of God's glory. God, you have called them to greatness. Greatness in you, God. So, Lord, as they stand here, the fact that they walk down here is a confession in itself. The fact that they walk down here is a declaration of faith in itself. Now, God, I'm, I'm just praying, God, that you will empower them to begin to speak out of their mouth right now the things that they need to say to you right now. I'm not going to lead you in a prayer. You know the things that you've struggled with. Nobody needs to know your business. You just begin to call them out. You ain't got to scream them out. Nobody's got to know your business, but there's power, life, and death in your tongue. If there are some things that you need to let go right now, if there's sin that you need forgiveness for, if there's confessions that you've made that you, you need to get rid of, if things, if you've got a resentment, if you've got pain, if you've got hurt, if you've got offense, you need to let it go right now. There needs to be no standing between you and plan A for your life. Speak it out. Speak it out. Speak it out. Church, I want you to stretch your hands towards them and pray. This is a life-changing decision up here. These people are making a decision over their families, over their life, over their future. They're trying to get rid of some things that are stopping them, that have caused them to halt, to try to go back to the plow. Oh, I hear the Lord say, if you're standing up here right now, burn the plow. Burn the plow. Burn the plow. Kill the oxen. Come on. Pick up the mantle. Burn the plow. Don't give yourself even an option to go back to the old way. Burn it. Burn it. Burn it. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. It's free indeed. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for these men and women of God. I thank God for my church. Thank God for the church you've connected me with, God. These are my, this is my family. are standing up here. Look at me. No plan B. No plan B. None. Plan A. No option to get out. This is who you are. You're not defined by what's happened to you, what's been said over you, what neighborhood you were born in. You're not defined by a politician. You're not defined. You're not even defined by economic status, racial status, language barriers, 
You're not defined by any of that. You are defined by the one that created you. Him alone. Nobody gets to judge you. Nobody gets to critique you for who you are. God made you. He created you. And he put a plan A in you. The Bible said he knew you from the foundation of the world. 